Now I'd like to read together with you Psalm 27, verse 4. And as I said earlier, this is kind of the, the window that we'll use to examine the larger chapter as a whole. There we read God's word. One thing have, I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Brothers and sisters of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, it was back in 1992, I believe, that Disney released one of its most popular animated films of all time. That film, as you may recall, was entitled Aladdin. And Aladdin told the story of a, of a young street boy who stumbles across this magical lamp. And when he rubs that magical lamp, well, out pops this energetic and this, this likable genie. And the genie informs Aladdin that he is, he is now entitled to three wishes. He can ask for basically anything that he wants. He can have fame or fortune or, or you name it. I'm not going to talk a lot about the rest of the movie, but one thing that you will notice as you watch the film is that the choices that Aladdin makes actually tell us a lot about him. They tell us a lot about the, the type of person that he is. They tell us a lot about the type of character that he has. They tell us what lives in his heart. Now I want you to imagine for a moment that you are Aladdin. That this is your movie. You somehow have this magical lamp. A genie informs you that you have three wishes. You can ask for pretty much anything that you want. What is it that you would choose? If you could have anything at all, what would it be? And if someone were then to watch your movie from the outside looking in at your life, what would your choices reveal about you? What would it reveal about the type of person that you are, the type of character that you have? What would it reveal about what lives in your heart? Well, in today's passage, we're in many ways offered a chance to look in on David's life. From the outside looking in, and we get to see who he is, the character that he has, and ultimately what lives in his heart. And what lives in his heart is a deep desire to dwell in the house of the Lord. And that'll be the theme for this morning's message. David desires to dwell in the house of the Lord. And we'll see this morning that he does so because it reminds him of God's protection. And secondly, because it reminds him of God's character. Now our text opens up with this this amazing confession, with these beautiful words in verse 4. It says, One thing... Have I asked of the Lord, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. They're beautiful words, profound. There's a reason, for example, that they they hang on many people's walls, that, that they're put on plaques and given as gifts. There's something just inherently beautiful to these words. But have you ever stopped to ask yourself, well, what is it specifically? What is it actually that makes these words beautiful? What does it really mean when David says, well, he desires to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of your life? 
Well, if we're looking at our English translation, it's, it's pretty easy to come to the conclusion that David here is talking about the temple, probably the temple that his son Solomon was to build later on. And so the conclusion that we can come to is that David here is really talking about some type of wish that he has, some type of desire, some hope for the future, you could say. And to a degree, this makes sense, because we know that the temple that his son Solomon would build was, was really an architectural masterpiece. It was amazing. It would have been something to see. And yet, in this case, the English is a little bit misleading, in the sense that the word that we in English translate as temple is a word that the Hebrew also translates as tabernacle. And in the verses 4 to 6, there's four instances in which the house of God, the dwelling place of God, in which it's referred to. And in each case, the Hebrew uses a word that refers to the tabernacle. Now you might ask, why am I, why am I bringing all of this up? Well, it's because I think it's important when you look at this psalm to recognize that David here is not talking about some far-off future desire. But David is talking about a present reality. When David is, is writing the words of this psalm, when he's talking about wanting to dwell in the house of the Lord, the sanctuary of God, he's talking about wanting to be in the tabernacle. He wants to be in the place where God was worshipped in his day, during his life. And why is that? Well, because the tabernacle was a place in which you could could really sense the presence of God. In the courts of the tabernacle, you could almost feel God in a tangible sort of way. I worry sometimes that that we have this conception of the tabernacle as as some sort of makeshift worship shelter, as as just a, a tent that was kind of slapped up in the wilderness. And yet Exodus 25 tells us that the tabernacle was in fact designed by God. And it was designed to be beautiful. It was designed to reflect something of his glory. In fact, Exodus 26 through 31, it tells us that everything about the tabernacle had to be made just so. From the poles to the curtains to the altars to the clothes that the priests wore, it had to be made exactly the way that God wanted it. Because the place where God was going to dwell with his people was a place that was remarkably special. If there was one place in all of Israel in which you could feel surrounded and secure and safe in the presence of God... It was in the tabernacle. And so when David is talking here about wanting to be and to dwell in the house of the Lord, David is talking about wanting to be in the presence of God. David is saying, I want to be where God is. In fact, the text tells us that this is actually the the one thing that David wants. This is his greatest singular desire And the reason it's so important to him is because when he looks back on his life, he's able to recognize that throughout his life, it's God who has protected and guided him. 
And that's something you really see in this psalm, right from the opening words. In verse 1, for example, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? David confesses that with God by his side, well, there's nothing, nothing that he'll be afraid of. Verse 2 and 3 says that even if enemies or armies or war, even if all of this stuff comes up against him, David says, well, I will still say that I will be confident. But I wonder this morning, I wonder if part of you is tempted to think, well, yeah, I mean, of course David could be confident. I mean, look at his life. Here is a man that God would make king. God blessed his empire. He enjoyed enjoyed tremendous military success. Lived in a beautiful palace. He had fabulous wealth. Perhaps you're thinking, well, if, if, if my life, if it was just a bit more like David's life, well, maybe then I would be a little more confident too. And yet that's not really a fair portrayal of David's life. If you search the scriptures and if you look at David's life, you discover that he is a man who who endured many hardships, many trials. David's life was in danger many times. We know, for example, that as as a young shepherd boy, we know that he went out and he fought the lion and the bear. Even the children here know the fact that David went out and he fought against this mighty Philistine giant, Goliath, and he slayed him. And we know that when David went and lived and served in the courts of Saul, we know that twice Saul tried to take his life. And so David had to spend years on the run from Saul. He had to live in the mountains and in caves, even among the enemies, the Philistines, for a time. The list of hardships that David faced in his life, they just seemed to go on and on and on. And the hardships that I've provided, the short list that I've provided, well, that's only a list of the things that occurred before David actually became king. You see, in many ways, David, he's a man who had every reason to question God. David is a man who had seemingly every reason to doubt the promises of God. I mean, many times in his life, it must have seemed like God wasn't protecting him at all. Many times, the hardships and the challenges of life, they kept him far from the tabernacle, far from that place where God was worshipped, far from that place in which God's presence could be, could be felt. And that must have been challenging. That must have been hard, frustrating for David. David. Because in the midst of the trials and the challenges of his life, that's the one place that he wanted to be. He wanted to be able to have access to the tabernacle courts. He wanted to be able to draw into the presence of God so that he could worship his God. Because it was his God, that God, that delivered him from the lion and the bear. It was his God that gave him the victory over Goliath. And when we look at those years 
that David spent on the run from Saul, it becomes clear that it was his God that surrounded him with such a rich measure of protection that guided and kept him all those years. And that's what leads David to say in Psalm 27, verse 5, that it's his God who will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. You know, David was not promised an easy life, nor did he get one. And yet David had the confidence of knowing that he was safe and secure in the presence of God. And yet it seems at times, for us today, it seems that it's easier to sometimes see God's presence, to see God's plan, to see that in David's life, than it is to see it in our own lives. I mean, after all, we have the entirety of Scripture. We, we can read all the stories of David. We know about the amazing things that God had in store for him. And yet when you step back, and when you look at your own life, I wonder what you see. Without the benefit of this outside vantage point, can you say that you see God's presence? Do you see his protection? Do you see his plan? And I think the truth is that sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's hard. Now, we might not have enemies or armies or war that come up against us, but we all have hardships. Sometimes, sometimes there's just tension in the house. There could be tension between us and our spouse or between us and our kids, sometimes between siblings. Sometimes there's just financial hardship. The bills are piling up, and if we're honest, we actually have no idea how they're going to get paid. Sometimes we're not sure how the medication or the treatment is going to work, and and so we face this future that's tremendously uncertain. Sometimes we don't know what God wants from us. We're leaving. We don't know whether to go to university or college or whether to get a job. We just don't know what to do. It seems hard during those times to say with David, to say, yeah, I will be confident. And that's why it's so important for us to recognize that Psalm 27, it's not just about David when life is going well. Psalm 27 is not just about the things that David says when everything is rosy and things are working out just as he'd planned. In fact, the second half of the psalm makes clear that this is David also talking during a time of hardship, during a time of of trial and, and challenges, Times when David is struggling, actually, to see God's presence. Times when he's, he's struggling to see God's plan. Just think of what he says between verses 7 and 12. We hear him cry out things like, Be merciful to me. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away. Do not reject me or forsake me. David here is, is clearly in a time of trouble. And yet, what does he do? Well, he seeks the face of God. 
He seeks the presence of his God, even in the times of trouble. That's what he says in verse 8. He says, you have said, seek my face, so your face I do seek. I'm not going to rely on me, but I'm going to rely on, on you. And here David gives us a shining example of what it is to, to walk by faith, to trust in the promises of God, to trust in his protection. And we today, we have every reason to also trust in God's promises, to trust in his protection. Because they have been secured for us in Jesus Christ. I wonder as you've read this psalm, it's it's a popular psalm. As you've read it, have you ever stopped and wondered, well, who actually had the right to say these words the way that David did? Who truly had the right to say, be merciful to me? Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away. Do not reject me or forsake me. Well, it's Jesus Christ. Because he was one who actually deserved mercy. He was the one from whom God hid his face. He was the servant who was turned away. He was rejected and forsaken. And why? So that you and I, gathered here today, living in our lives, might know something of what it is to experience the presence of God. So that simple sinners like you and me might know something of what it is to be safe and secure and under the protection of God. It's a protection that is not based on a good life. It's not based on material security. But the protection of God is based on the big picture. It's based on our ultimate destiny. The protection of God has eternity in mind. And in this broken world, that is a protection that actually offers people hope. That is a protection that actually matters. And that is the protection that David is is continually reminded of when he enters the courts of the tabernacle. But we'll see in closing that David is not just reminded of God's protection. He's also reminded of God's character. And to understand that, we need to recognize that the second half of verse 4 is really building upon the first. So in the first half of verse 4, as we've talked about, David is desiring to dwell in the house of the Lord. And that's because of the fact that he recognizes that there he experiences God's presence. There he's also able to reflect on his life and and to see God's goodness and God's faithfulness. And that faithfulness and that goodness of God in the past, well, that leads David to say that he wants to gaze or to behold the beauty of the Lord. Now again, we should ask, well, what What exactly is David talking about here? Well, certainly you have to remember that as David enters the courts of the tabernacle, it is not difficult 
to behold the beauty of the Lord. The beauty of the Lord is something that would have just hit you right between the eyes. And that's because, as we said earlier, everything about the place, everything about the tabernacle spoke of the beauty of the Lord. The poles, the curtains, the the, the altars, the clothes, everything had to be made just so because God wanted his glory reflected there. He wanted it to speak to his goodness, and he wanted it to speak to his character. You can think of things like, like the sacrifices. Sacrifices that pointed to God's justice and holiness. Of his demand for payment for sin. And those same sacrifices that also pointed to God as, as, a, as a God of grace and a God of mercy. You actually gave the people a means, a way in which they could atone for sin. You know, as an Israelite, coming into the tabernacle courts, you could not help but just be overwhelmed by a sense of the beauty of the Lord. And so David here is really just making a statement of of adoration, of overwhelmment, He wants to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. In fact, he he wants to know God better. He wants to walk closer with him. He wants to understand him in the closest possible manner. David is not just seeking God here because God offers protection. This is not some type of, of shallow relationship where David is just seeking God because of what he can get from God. It's not the case at all. David is seeking God because he is just amazed by who God is. And so he wants to be led. He wants to be guided by God. And that's what he's really driving at in the closing words of verse 4, where he says he wants to, to inquire, or sometimes translated as to meditate in God's tabernacle. He wants to be Led by God. It's a theme that you see come out again in verse 11 where he says, Teach me your ways, O Lord. Lead me on a level path. We have a picture here of David really being humbled in the presence of God. David recognizes that everything he is, everything he's become, is totally and completely the work of God. And that knowledge, that allows him to look back on his life and to recognize that even in his darkest and most challenging times, and he had many of them, but even in those times, God was there. And God would always be there because that was the character and is the character of God. It's a testimony to his faithfulness. And that faithfulness is very important to David. It's something that that he wants to to bring out as well. It's something that he brings out in verse uh, verse 10, sorry, where the English loses it a little bit, but the the sense here is it's a hypothetical question. David is saying, even if my father and my mother could leave me, something that, that seems almost unthinkable in any culture, 
But David says, even if that happens, God's love and God's mercy and God's grace, he says, that will never be in doubt. It's hard for us to even begin to to understand, to begin to wrap our minds around the depth of the grace and the mercy and the love of God. Instead, all we, we can do and all we should do is stop, like David once in a while, stop so that we gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. So that we take time to look upon who he is. And when by God's grace, when our eyes are open to the beauty of God, then like David, we can't help. You can't help but just want to know God more. When you see a sense of the beauty of who God is, what he's done for you in Christ Jesus, well, then you want to walk closer with him. You want to understand him. You want to see more of his beauty. And so perhaps, perhaps it's fitting for us this morning to ask the question, do we see the beauty of the Lord? Does it drive us to humility? Does it drive us to praise and to worship? What is it that actually brings you here into the house of God, into the presence of God? What is it that brings you here each Sunday? Do you love to be here in the presence of God? Do you see his beauty? And you know, the truth is that there may be those of you here this morning who have to answer and say, you know, I'm struggling to see the beauty of the Lord. Perhaps it's the brokenness of life that has clouded your vision. Perhaps it's grief or hurt or anger that has blocked the beauty of the Lord. Perhaps the demons of depression are are literally choking out the light. Whatever the case might be, there are times in this life where we can struggle to see the beauty of the Lord. And as long as we live in in this broken world, that will continue to be a challenge. But the comfort that we have is of knowing that we're not the first ones to ever go through this struggle. I mean, look at the great saints of the past. Many of them had times where they, they struggled to see God's presence. They had times where they struggled to see his plan. You could look at the book of Psalms. It's, it's a prime example. It's filled with those who are, who are crying out to God, wanting to understand. And yet the hope that they clung to is the same hope that we still cling to today. And that is the fact that God does not change. Yes, our broken world, it it does at times block our view and our our corrupt and sinful nature sometimes makes it difficult to see 
But God's beauty and God's character, they remain. And that is a beauty that we should still see today. It's easier sometimes than other times to see it. We drove up here this weekend for for the trip up here to Owen Sound, and I, I confess that it is easy in this area to see the beauty of the Lord, to see the sun shining, to see creation. There's something marvelous about it. But you should also see the beauty of the Lord here on Sunday as you gather for worship. No, we don't see the beauty in the same way that, that the tabernacle. It wasn't based on, on the exterior beauty and the adornment of the tabernacle. But the beauty of the Lord should be seen here. It should be seen in the body of Christ. It should be seen in our worship. And the beauty of the Lord certainly must be seen in the message that is delivered inside of the building. For God's character has not changed. God is still a God who is holy and just. He is still a God who hates sin and who demands payment for sin. And that's why I explained earlier, that's a big part of the reason that we read the law. We need to be reminded that we serve a holy and a just God with holy and just requirements. But God is still a God of grace. And he's a God of mercy. And that has not changed either. And that must be seen in the message of Jesus Christ that is proclaimed each and every Sunday of the forgiveness of sins and of the gospel of grace. That must be seen so that when people come here to worship, that they see the beauty of the Lord in the way that you treat each other as the body of Christ, that they see it in your worship, And that they see it in the message of salvation. The beauty of the Lord must be seen here. So, if you are one of those people, and you have to confess that you're battling and struggling to see the beauty of the Lord, allow me to encourage you not to put your trust in yourself. Don't place your confidence in your emotions and your feelings and in those things that love to sow seeds of doubt. But place your confidence in God, in the one who does not change. Because there you're going to find a firm foundation. And that's the place where David found his firm foundation throughout his life. That's why his one great singular desire is to be in the presence of the one who does not change. And God's word is clear that he will be gracious to those who seek him. I think of the words of Proverbs 8 verse 17 where God says, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Those are the promises of God. Those are promises that do not change because they are made by a God who does not change. And so wherever you find yourself today, seek that God and he will be found. 
Discover who he is. Discover what he's done for you in Jesus Christ and make that your focus. Place your eyes on him and find hope. And that's not to suggest that all of your troubles suddenly disappear and go away. I don't know all of you that well, but I think it's fair to say that there are probably some of you here who, who know very well what it is to be called down a, a road of hardship, to be called on a life where you know a great deal about pain and hurt and all sorts of other difficulties. And sometimes you go down that road without any answers. But that's why it all comes back to the fact that we don't place our confidence in ourselves. But instead, we look for confidence in God, in his unchanging character, in his promises. Because God does not promise a life of health, wealth, and prosperity. That is not what God promises. But this is what God does promise. God promises that those who seek him, those who love him, those who place their faith entirely in the work of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross, God promises that they will know one day what it is to dwell in the house of the Lord. God promises that a day is coming when they will know in the most unimaginable, glorious way, they will know what it is to be in the presence of God and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Those are the promises of God. Promises that give us hope and promises that allow us to say with David that I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage and wait for the Lord. Amen.